0: His mind to live forever, or at least die trying. I could identify with that. From him, I learned to say no. When they offered me another stripe as a promotion and another cluster to my air medal to fly ten more missions, I turned them down and they sent me home. I kept all the way out of his disagreements with Appleby because I was timid, short, an enlisted man, and a Jew. In principle, at least, I thought myself the equal of all the others—the officers, too—even of that big outspoken Armenian bombardier who kept joking crazily that he was really an Assyrian and already practically extinct. In the middle of his second week in the hospital, Yossarian dreamed of his mother, and he knew again that he was going to die. The doctors were upset when he gave them the news— we can't find anything wrong, they told him. Keep looking, he instructed. You're in perfect health. Just wait, he advised. Yosarian was back in the hospital for observation having retreated there once more beneath another neurotic barrage of confusing physical symptoms to which he had become increasingly susceptible since finding himself dwelling alone again for just the second time in his life, and which seemed, one by one, to dissipate like vapor as soon as he described or was tested for each. This time he had gone bolting back in, so to speak, with a morbid vision, of a different morbid vision, shortly after hearing that the president, whom he did not like, was going to resign, and that the vice-president, whom he did not like even more, would certainly succeed him. And, shortly after finding out, inadvertently, that Milo Minderbinder, with whom he now had been unavoidably and inescapably linked for something like twenty-five years, was expanding beyond surplus-stale commodities like old chocolate and vintage Egyptian cotton into military equipment, with plans for a warplane of his own that he intended to sell to the government—to any government, of course, that could afford to buy The vision of the morbid vision he had experienced was of a seizure or a stroke, and had set him reminiscing again about durable old Gustav Ashkenbach, alone on his mythical strand of Mediterranean beach and his immortal death in Venice, worn out at fifty in a city with a plague nobody wished to talk about. Given a choice, Yosarian still preferred to live. He ate no eggs, and though he had no headache, swallowed his baby aspirin every other day. He had no doubt he had lots to worry about. A prick in the White House. It would not be the first time. Another oil tanker had broken up. There was radiation, garbage, pesticides, toxic waste, and free enterprise. There were enemies of abortion who wished to inflict the death penalty on everyone who was not pro-life. Men earned millions, producing nothing more substantial than changes in ownership. The Cold War was over, and there was still no peace on earth. Nothing made sense, and neither did everything else. When bored in his hospital room, Yosarian played with such high-minded thoughts like a daydreaming youth with his genitals. At least once each weekday morning they came barging in around him, his doctor Leon Schumacher, and his brisk and serious entourage of burgeoning young physicians, accompanied by the lively, attractive floor-nurse with a pretty face and the magnificent ass, who was openly drawn to Yosarian despite his years, and whom he was slyly enticing to develop a benign crush on him, despite her youthfulness. She was a tall woman with impressive hips, and remembered Pearl Bailey, but not Pearl Harbor, which put her age somewhere between thirty-five and sixty, the very best stage, Yossarian believed, for a woman, provided, of course, she still had her health. The name of this nurse was Melissa McIntosh, and like all good women to a sophisticated man with a predilection to romanticize, she seemed too good to be true. By the beginning of his second week she was allowing him to caress with his fingertips the border of lace at the skirt of her slip when she stood or sat beside his bed or chair. Pink with discomfort and enlivened by mischief, she neither consented nor prohibited when he toyed with her filmy undergarment. He concealed from Nurse McIntosh all the subtle signals of his budding erections. He did not want her to get the idea that his intentions were serious." A great man with angiograms had confirmed to him soberly that he did not need one, a neurologist